0: this is it was a thing on tv spoiler
1: number one is dr lee france it stinks what is going on (laughs) what
2: is going on episode
3: 118 submission 843 ernie anderson now, guys, over the course of the first 117 episodes, we've brought up here and there about the man, the myth, the legend, Ernie Anderson, for his great work at EVC over the years as a voiceover artist, but now, guys, it's finally time to give this man his well-justified due. We're,
2: we're, we're about to do the deep dive into the life and times of Ernie Anderson, and how he sounds so sexy for ABC with that sweet, your arteries, buttery, cholesterol, baritone of his. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, Greg, uh, Ernie Anderson started off actually in Massachusetts. He was born uh, November 12th of uh, 1923 in Boston, uh, but grew up in Lynn, Massachusetts. His parents were Emily and, and Ernest. So he's like an Ernie Jr., you know, Ernest's yeah, nickname, or Ernie's nickname for Ernest. Uh, now, Ernie's original plan was to go to law school, but he was born in 23. And, well, when he got to college age, uh, th- there was a little something going on called World War II. So um, he, he joined the U.S. Navy, and he did that actually to avoid being drafted. Now, his son is Paul Thomas Anderson, and I'm sure uh, Chico and Greg can uh, talk about films that uh, he's uh, directed uh, over the years.
3: Yeah, Boogie Nights, Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler, and of course, There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day Lewis.
1: I drink your milkshake! <laughs> I drink it up!
2: All the classics.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some popular names in there. Paul Thomas Anderson said this, and this is a quote about his dad's military service. E. Ernie was in the Navy, stationed mainly in Guam. I don't think he did any fighting. I think he was trying. He was fixing airplanes and and knew just where the beer was stashed and played the saxophone in bands and stuff like that. You know... Every picture I have of him shows a beer in his hand. Every single picture from the war he's got. So he was pretty good about probably finding ways to get out of fighting. But again, you know, we never really talked that much about it. So Ernie was trying to find the easy way out, uh, but he was still doing enough to not get discharged. Uh, he, he was uh, stationed uh, uh, in Guam uh, for the Navy, fixing planes, but he obviously had uh, ample amount of time on his hands to uh, for extracurriculars, if you will. And, and today I learned, back in World War II times, Guam had beer. Well, I wonder if that was a ration back in the day.
2: Um, I don't know, but uh, hey, now you can say you knew something that you didn't know when you woke up this morning.
0: Ernie Anderson enjoyed beer. I just learned that today.
2: I always thought that Ernie Anderson enjoyed cigarettes more than beer because every picture I have of him has a cigarette in his hand,
0: oh, which, is gonna... odd.
2: which is odd when you consider what his job is. I mean...
0: Uh, well, but also at the same time, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So after World War II ended, uh, Ernie attended Suffolk University and he became a disc jockey in Montpelier, Vermont. Today, I learned that Montpelier, Vermont had a radio station. <laughs> well, it's such a small town. I mean, it's the it's smallest. The, it's town. the only state capital without a McDonald's. We know this. Yeah, it's, it's also, I think, the, uh, the state capital with the smallest population. I think it's only like 8,000 or so, at least yeah. as of nowadays. Ernie worked a lot of the Northeast, New England area. He worked in Albany. He worked in Providence. But in 1958, he made his big move to Cleveland and joined the radio station WHK, which is still in existence today, even though it's not as big as it was, say, even, let's say, 40 years ago or 30 years ago. It's still around, but it's not uh, uh, terribly popular. Yeah, at least, it's, not, at least not in my household. But
2: Was that one of the uh, classic AMs of Cleveland Radio?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. That was one of the classic AMs of Cleveland Radio, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: And,
0: yeah, and, uh, yeah there, there's a number of them. And, well, that would be uh, a, a separate podcast called It Was a Thing on the Radio Dial. So uh, what happened is in late 1958 – Ernie Anderson uh was let go cuz his persona didn't fit a f- new format, uh a top 40 format that WHK uh switched to. And obviously again th- that was big in the 50s, you know, if you had top 40 you got the to modern play.
2: sound, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, you got to play Elvis and you got to play Buddy Holly and the Crickets and uh, you know the music from the 50s. And according to Tim Conway, and we're going to get into Tim Conway a lot more in this episode. He he has a big role in this entire saga. Ernie was at the WHK Christmas party in 1958, telling a a long, elaborate joke. And just as he's about to deliver the punchline, his boss cuts in and says the punchline. And Ernie looks at him and says, why did you do that? And the boss says, I anticipated it. So Ernie said, anticipate this, and tells him, beep, yourself. Imagine what, what goes in with the beep. Uh, needless to say, Ernie Anderson got fired for that. Who knew you couldn't just tell your boss to beep off and not get fired? I'm shocked. Yeah, I know. This is and, my shocked face. Yeah, I see that. Now, that was a good move in the end, obviously, because he became a television legend. But it started originally at uh, KYW-TV, which is now WKYC. And that's where he first collaborated with Tim Conway. Uh, They were on a show called Ernie's Place. But by mid-61, both Ernie Anderson and Tim Conway moved to uh, the, uh, then CBS affiliate and now Fox affiliate WJW TV.
2: Rest in peace, Dick Goddard.
0: Yeah. And in case you don't know who he is legendary, uh, weatherman who just died within the last, I'd say probably about four or five months. <clears throat> and, uh, so what they did is they uh, hosted a local, uh, morning movie show called Ernie's place which included live skits and comedy bits. And what happened is uh, Ernie uh, told uh, WJW's management that uh, he was a director for the program, even though really Tim Conway lacked any sort of qualifications. So Tim Conway uh, lost his director's role because he was not qualified. And uh, several other staffers... Including at that point, a young technician named Chuck Shadowski, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. He he actually has a role in this too. They they uh, were called in to assist with uh, the direction, and Tim uh, well Tim was actually uh, he was canned. He was let go. Oh uh, yeah, but the thing is, uh, without uh, his uh, comic foil, Ernie's place was canceled. But, 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 but there's a a positive to this. WJW management soon offered Ernie Anderson the the role of a late night, late Friday night uh, schlock movie host type of position. Well, not really a a schlock movie host. More like the movies were schlocky. Excuse excuse me for getting my Yiddish on. (laughs) It, It was a local incarnation of shock theater and and, and this actually is where uh, Ernie Anderson really grew in popularity. So starting in 1963, so we're about a year and a half after uh, Ernie's place started, uh, Ernie Anderson hosted Shock Theater, but he had a, 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 an alter ego of uh, called Gullardy.
1: What do you think of the movie so far, huh? Hey, really bad. <laughs> Where's the artwork over there? Give me a fast copy of the artwork. Don't go away. Stick with the variety. It's awkward time. Oh, listen. Is this good? Is this good? That's by Bob Wenger. Is that beautiful? That's done in Earl. Good. Then hang that down, our director. Here's another snappy one done by Kevin Wondrak. Kids only 13 years old. If you hold your camera still, and I'll do this bit. See, we'll get. Oh, come on. <laughs> Here we go with it. Beautiful, key. You a nice work. There's another snappy one by Keevan. All right, let's go through. Oh, this is gorgeous. The real Goulardi. The whole world's a purple kniff. Now, if you'll pan down, you'll see the real Goulardi. <laughs> That's beautiful work. What's his name? It's not on
0: it. Too bad, kid. You'll lose. And Goulardi was. Not your typical uh, B-movie host. He he wasn't dressed up as a vampire, think like Elvira, or he wasn't dressed up like um, uh, so, some goofy character, some, some creepy character. He was really dressed up as like a hipster type. And you wouldn't expect somebody uh, who looked like a hipster to be a a movie host, but... He found his niche. Uh, he mocked the films that uh, he was hosting and, and uh, used beatnik slang uh, uh, during uh, the movies and uh, in the little comedic bits that ran uh, during commercials or before commercials. And uh, sometimes they'd add in sound effects or goofy music or, or just music in general in place of uh, the audio track of the movie. And uh, using uh, chroma key technology like green screen, Goularty would sometimes put himself into the film, which, um, yeah, uh, WJW uh, usually would use that for, well, it says here art cards. I'm sure they probably sometimes used it for weather. I I know back in the day, that's what WJW did was for the weather. They chroma key Uh, Dick Goddard going back to that name that we just uh, tossed out a few moments ago Uh, there'd be some chroma key action there and uh, one thing that uh, he apparently loved was firecrackers which firecrackers and fireworks uh, at least fireworks are illegal uh, here in Ohio Uh, and at the time firecrackers were illegal but he'd blow up apples he'd blow up leftovers he blew up model cars. He blew up statues. And viewers actually used to send him stuff to blow up on the air. Kind of so crazy. he would
2: actually blow the, the stuff up on, on air.
0: Yeah. He, he, he was sort of like. Well, he was basically Gallagher.
2: Mythbusters before Mythbusters was Mythbusters.
0: Okay. I, I was going to say he was sort of like a mix between Mythbusters and Gallagher. But yeah, I mean, he was basically Mythbusters before Mythbusters. Boy, try saying that five times fast. And uh, one thing that, like, like I said, that was uh, revived from Ernie's Place that was kept in uh, uh, in Goularty's shock theater was comedy sketches and skits. And one of the people that uh, took part in a lot of the skits was Tim Conway. However, Tim Conway had moved on to Los Angeles and become – uh, a big TV star because at that point he was on uh, McHale's Navy. So that's where Chuck Shadowski actually comes into play. Uh, he, he was uh, sort of the uh, second banana to, uh, to Goularty uh, in skits. And again, we will actually revisit Chuck Shadowski before uh, the end of the show. And actually, Tim uh, Conway would uh, make the occasional cameo appearances uh, for the program. Uh, so, you know, it's good that uh, that uh, Tim didn't forget about his, his hometown, where he started, his good buddy, Ernie Anderson. And, and we're going to get to that a little bit later, because uh, uh, obviously at some point, uh, Ernie Anderson is going to Los Angeles. Goularty often made targets out of certain individuals. And one of the targets that he mocked openly often, and I believe there's footage of this somewhere, is Dorothy Foldheim. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell, you're very young and you're not acquainted with Cleveland television. So Dorothy Foldheim, she was the first uh, woman to anchor a TV news show in the United States. And this is back, I believe, in the late 40s. She worked on... Rival station in Cleveland, WEWS, I'm not even joking, probably for at least, I'd say, 35 to 40 years. She worked, I think, almost until her dying day because she passed away in 1989, and I remember her being on the air still around, like, 85, 86. And at that time, talking about, like, mid-'80s, Dorothy Foldheim would have been probably in her early 90s, 90s. And she was still uh, uh, doing the occasional commentary for for WWS. But uh, what she's really known for, uh, like I said, she was the first woman to to anchor a TV news show in the United States. Dorothy Fuldheim was known for some very controversial opinions at the time. uh, and, And she was very, she wasn't shy about Uh, showing her displeasure for anybody that she didn't necessarily agree with for example jerry rubin who is uh yeah that jerry rubin uh jerry rubin well yeah he he was an activist back in the 60s uh started to uh ask uh dorothy full time uh if she drank and uh, she answered i have the best damn liver in cleveland i disagree i've never drank and uh, never had a drink and I got a damn fine liver probably. Uh, and then, <laughs> uh, then he took a picture of a nude woman and showed it to her. Oh, he, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Full time responded by asking Ruben, how is uh, this photo germane to the topic? He then referred to the police as pigs. Oh, and that set her off. Don't oh, call, boy. Don't call the cops pigs in front of Dorothy Fulltime. And uh, she re- replied, I've got a shock for you. Some of my friends are policemen. Uh, Ruben then said, well, I've got a shock for you. I'm good friends with the Black Panthers. Uh-oh, stuff's getting real. And at that point, Dorothy Fulheim threw his book and kicked Ruben off the set saying, out, stop the interview. And cameras got all this. Footage of this is occasionally shown, uh, and, and by occasionally, I should say like almost rarely, But I've seen it on television maybe once every 10 years or so. Uh, Usually, like, when uh, WWS has its anniversary and they talk about some of their past personalities and past uh, TV shows that they hosted, usually Dorothy Foldheim's name comes up there, and they show that clip. So it does exist. It's, again, from the late 60s. And, uh, yeah, she, she was a fiery old bag, excuse me. (laughs) <laughs> wow well such so, well, language mike well well well. again again how do i remember her from the late 70s and early 80s i remember her as a crotchety old woman just just my opinion and and, and also i'm sorry well i'm not sorry about anything we're just going to continue uh uh gulardi did not like her at all Hey, maybe for the same reason I didn't care for her because, as a five-year-old, uh, she she had this fiery red hair and and she was always yelling and 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 uh, and criticizing people and stuff. Yeah, uh,
2: it, it, it she cons- was basically the mor- she was basically the moral authority.
0: Uh, well, the, the thing is, she was held in a high standard at WWS, high standard. I mean, again, she had been at the station uh, at least during uh, when Goularty was on. Probably for 15 years at that point. Since, since like I said, the the late 40s. Uh, and she, she was nothing short of legend uh, for her work at, at WWS.
3: There's even a drunk history sketch about her.
0: Yes, there is a drunk history sketch about her. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, on the episode titled, surprisingly, Cleveland. Yeah, gulardi didn't care for her. He mocked her openly every week. Uh, usually referring to her as Dorothy baby and uh, their mutual uh, on-air jibes uh, created what viewers considered a battle of the beatnik and the Empress of Ohio news. Wow. Yeah, it makes sense. There were a number of running gags that uh, happened on not just Goularty show, but the shows that lived on after it, and uh, we'll get to those shows that lived on after it. One of the things that w- was a common theme in the 60s and 70s, and even into the 80s, was uh, making fun of certain ethnic people. And, and what we mean by certain ethnic people is primarily people of the Polish persuasion. And specifically, there was, and this was a very popular segment within the show called Parma Place. Uh, Parma, is, at the time, uh, was uh, heavily ethnic, let's say that. Uh, but but also it was making fun of the, the popular soap opera of the time, Peyton Place. However, Parma Place, uh, even though it became a big hit, uh, the use of ethnic jokes uh, sort of forced the hand of Parma's Officials and they called and complained to management of WJW about that. The the, the station uh, decided to cancel it at that point. Uh, uh, however, the publicity from the whole Parma Place incident and the, the full time rivalry, Goularty was at his popularity at this point. And how popular was he? This isn't even a joke. He had a 70 share in. Cl- Cleveland for ratings, 70 share going up against Carson. That's unheard of. Yeah. So 70% of TVs were watching uh, Goularty at the time. Only 30% were watching Carson on Friday nights at this time in the mid sixties, but also uh, another little side effect of uh, Goularty's popularity, crime among teenagers decreased on Friday nights by 30%.
2: Because everybody was watching Goularty.
0: Exactly. Uh, specifically, again, uh, we're talking about teenage crime. So teenagers were big into it. And, uh, and I know I've talked to my dad about this because my dad would have been in that age range at that point. Oh, yeah, Goularty was the man. He was the thing to watch. Uh, on Friday nights uh, in the uh, mid-60s. And he and his posse, let's say, were so popular, they actually created a Goularty All-Stars sports team, which went to different uh, places and played different teams for charity. So think about, you know, playing the Parma Police Station, let's say, for example... And that garnered a lot of attention, too. Obviously, good attention because it's for charity. But uh, Ghilardi was at his peak at that point. And then here's where Tim Conway comes back into play. In the the 60s, with some help from Tim Conway, Ernie Anderson went to Hollywood to shoot a TV pilot. And he used uh, footage from the audition and films from his trip on his TV show, which was very weird for local television back in 1966 he permanently left Cleveland in summer of 1966 shock theater under that name at least ended in October of 1966 and the Goularty name was retired at least from a television purpose. So what happened you have Tim Conway and you have Ernie Anderson now in Los Angeles. You have Chuck Shadowski. There's that name again. And uh, weatherman, Bob Wells, uh, who's uh, was called Houlihan the Weatherman, uh, they hosted the show Houlihan and Big Chuck. And the Houlihan and Big Chuck show actually ran from late 66, December 23rd of 66, all the way until 1979. And then in 1979, John Rinaldi, who was a jeweler, and he actually had not has, but within the last couple of years, I think it closed down, had a jewelry store in downtown Cleveland, not terribly far from Progressive Field. I think it was less than maybe 500 feet away. And he had been sort of like a a featured player. He now was elevated to a full-time status and the show was renamed Big Chuck and Little John because John Rinaldi was re- very short. I- I'd say he was like – well, he's still with us. I'd say uh, John Rinaldi was probably about four six, definitely under 5 feet tall. So he-, he was a very short person. He is a very short person. He still hasn't died. And uh, Big Chuck, I mean, he's reasonably tall. He's like 6'2 or so. So I-, I got at least an inch on him. Sorry, Big Chuck. Huh. Big Chuck. <laughs> but uh, but uh, that show, uh, unfortunately, died, oh gosh, at this point, it's probably been 20 years. I, it's probably been since the late 90s, maybe early 2000s.
3: Wikipedia says the show ended on June 17th in 2007.
0: Oh my gosh, uh, I didn't think it lasted that long, but also at the same time, I wasn't openly looking for it. Uh, after about 2000. But even though Big Chuck and Little John, with the movies, uh, they actually used to show movies and skits uh, before and after commercials. Even though that's done, it still lives on today. Every Sunday night at 11.30 p.m., they they show a compilation of their old skits, including (laughs) sometimes they show Goularty skits, uh, and sometimes they show... Uh, bob wells uh hoolihan skits but generally it's big chuck and little john but again it's like a half an hour of nostalgia but enough nice. about uh, yeah enough <laughs> about the, uh, the the different uh variations or or the continuations of of shock theater after ernie anderson left
3: i just wanted to say one thing yeah i just wanted to say that i remember little john because he was in that jeopardy pizza pan ad
0: Yes, he He was. was. Yes, Little John, it's on YouTube. He was on, oh my gosh, Pizza Pan is a relic. That hasn't been around for at least 10 years. Uh, He was on a Pizza Pan ad, which was a a spoof of Jeopardy. I remember
2: those.
0: Yeah, yeah, how do you guys remember it? Did did somebody show you it? You showed us
3: that like 10 years ago.
0: Oh my gosh, it's been 10 years and I'm supposed to remember that, okay? But I'm sure that's still on YouTube somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So now going back to uh, Ernie's move to Los Angeles, he actually uh, starred in a short-lived comedy. Oh, this may not necessarily be on the list at some point, called Rango, not to be confused with the movie from 10 years ago. Uh, That show not only had Ernie Anderson on it, but it also starred Tim Conway. So there's your collaboration again, Tim Conway, Ernie Anderson, back together and it feels so good.
2: Oh, and but yes. They,
0: and they collaborated on a comedy act and appeared together on Hollywood Palace and actually released two comedy albums. But then in 74, 1974, that is, Ernie Anderson replaced Lyle Wagner as the announcer on the Carol Burnett show. And remember, that's where Tim Conway was uh, as a recurring guest on that show uh, before he became a regular performer. So again, they're reunited and it feels so good. And actually, if you uh, watch the Carol Burnett channel on Pluto TV, when I was hospitalized, they did show an episode where Ernie Anderson was shown on camera. And, um, and actually, he was in the audience. So you get a look at Ernie Anderson, not that they're all terribly rare, but just if you want to see Ernie Anderson, he was on an episode of the Carol Burnett show sometime between say 74. And I'm going to guess he was probably gone by about 76, maybe 77 at the latest. So uh, Ernie Anderson failed as an actor for a number of reasons. He had a show that uh, failed and actually his son said that he was a horrible actor and even looking at home movies, he was a bad actor in those. And Paul Thomas Anderson said that his family would be like, you effer. No wonder you couldn't get any jobs. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. Just whoa. Well, I mean, okay. Some people can't act. So you find a way to, to uh, work your way in the business. Ernie admittedly uh, said that he had lifelong difficulty memorizing stuff. So, you know, if you can't memorize the lines, you're not going to be a good actor. He went behind the microphone when uh, Fred Silverman, oh, there's another Fred Silverman mention, made Ernie Anderson the voice of ABC. And gosh knows we heard Ernie Anderson's voice enough in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s Boy, where had we heard him? We said the love boat. He was known for saying, this
1: is ABC.
0: For the network ID and stuff like that.
2: There are actually super cuts of him saying, this is ABC.
0: Oh, I'm I'm absolutely sure of that. But also, he did a lot of recorded introductions for newscasts, including, oddly enough, WEWS in Cleveland where Dorothy Foldheim was.
1: When it comes to reporting events that surround our lives and shape our community, every second counts. That's why at TV5, the people you trust at 6 are up to the minute at 11. Ted Henry and Wilma Smith committed to making the most of the news that matters to you because we realize the news doesn't end at 6. It's only just beginning. So before you turn in for the night, tune to Eyewitness News at 11 right here on Ohio's News Channel TV5.
0: Also, in addition to uh, newscasts and ABC and The Love Boat, he was the announcer for, like, what, the first six seasons of America's Funniest Home Videos? Yeah, the first six or yes, seven. He was.
2: he was the guy that said, ladies and gentlemen, Bob Saget.
0: But also he did voiceover for previews of new episodes of the first three seasons of oh geez it always goes back to this show star trek the next generation yes
1: tonight the 24th century begins welcome to the enterprise in a special world premiere movie star trek the next generation ready for departure sir Engage. 78 years have passed since the days of the original USS Enterprise. Now a new Galaxy Starship has been designed with a new team of highly skilled Federation explorers. Starfleet Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Commander Riker, Executive Officer, Chief Medical Officer Crusher. And her brilliant son, Wesley, Lieutenant Commander Data, an android, the telepathic Troy, Geordie, a man with unique vision, security officer Yar, and Klingon officer Worf. Shields and deflectors up, sir. Go to yellow alert. Their first mission, investigate a new star base on planet Denim Four. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. A hostile alien threatens the crew. Now go back. Well, thou shalt most certainly die. But they're determined to finish their mission. Arm um, am photo torpedoes. Place them on ready status. Hostel is now beginning to overtake us, sir. Together, they stand trial before a merciless corpse. You will now answer to the charge of being a grievously savage race. Now, they have 24 hours to uncover the secrets of a strange world. They're finally on far points, sir. Classic legend begins an all-new adventure. Let's see what's out there. Star Trek, the next generation.
0: In addition to all the uh, aforementioned uh, shows and and doing uh, news uh, introductions and ABC uh, work, we mentioned uh, previously that Ernie Anderson announced for Break the Bank, the syndicated version back in 1976 and 77, I believe we have a clip.
1: Three of these boxes will break the bank worth over $10,000 in prizes. Is this one of them? Or is it this one? Or this one? We'll find out in a moment in this game of hide and seek as these nine celebrities. That's my mama's Clifton Davis. From Happy Days, Anson Williams. Senior comedian J.P. Morgan, from Marcus Welby, Elena Verdugo, comedy star Joey Bishop, it's Canon Cannon, William Conrad, the magical Bob Reed, from Maud Hermione Baddeley, Mr. T and Tina's Pat Morita, all join us in playing Great the Thing.
0: very much and welcome to break the bank. But also in addition, how about this? Uh, in terms of animation, he uh did voices. Uh he did the uh opening uh, introductions, the opens to a couple of shows including the Adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3. Oh but, yes, I do remember him doing the voices yes! for that. Yes. But, 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 but do you remember this? He narrated the first two shorts of the Powerpuff Girls on the What a Cartoon Show. What?
2: Okay, I did not remember
0: that. I'm not not joking. He narrated the first two.
2: He was Tom Kenny before Tom Kenny was Tom Kenny?
0: Pretty much. uh, When it was, again, not not as part of the cartoon, when it was its own independent cartoon, when it was part of the What a Cartoon Show. If you remember that, basically uh, yeah.
2: Cartoon Network's uh, anthology series. Yeah, that's that's where Seth MacFarlane got his start, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I mean it was basically like Cartoon Network's sort of, yeah. You said anthology type of show. Yeah, it was a, a mishmash of. Okay, if you enjoy this or watch this, we'll turn this into a real cartoon. Yeah. All right, well, that brings us up, uh, when we're talking about uh, Powerpuff Girls, that brings us to 97, and unfortunately, 97 is the year that Ernie Anderson died, specifically February 6th of 1997, and we we mentioned earlier about his his smoking, and obviously, smoking gets you that that very bass voice. I mean, you could tell a smoker uh, based on the, the, the depth of their voice. Oh, yeah. And and yeah, sadly, um, Ernie died of lung cancer. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, when you smoke that long, it's just going to be a matter of time. And, uh, and and his voice was silenced. Like I said, February sixth of nineteen ninety seven. But his uh, legacy lives on. Uh, even uh, not necessarily nowadays, but for years after his death in 97 his voice could still be heard doing promotions for radio stations, TV stations. His voice was even on, and believe it or not, this is a thing. And uh, we're we're not going to cover it because unfortunately I can't use it because I don't have a windows 95 machine anymore. There was actually an America's funniest home video CD-ROM. And actually back in the day, like 1996 when I first got a computer, I paid like $5 for it. It was, it was a, a Sam's club deal. It's like, okay, I can't really go wrong with this. I haven't touched it in 23 years, but uh, if I ever find a windows 95 machine, I'm going to fire it up. But uh, apparently there's a lot of Ernie Anderson in, in there, uh, at least introducing the, uh, the, the CD ROM. Uh,
3: oh yeah. I, Cause I, I took this CD ROM out from the library when it came out, like, back in ninety six ninety seven yeah Ernie's in there and also also you get plenty of Ernie in now I had this as a kid the America's funniest home videos VCR game.
1: Welcome to America's Funniest Home Videos Game. I'm Ernie Anderson. I introduce the show each week on television. So Parker Brothers asked me to introduce the game, featuring some of the funniest videos from the show with the original quips, wisecracks, and jokes from the show's host, Bob Saget. The first thing you probably did was drop this tape into your VCR without reading the directions. Don't feel too silly. Half of America did exactly the same thing. Now, I'll give you a brief overview of the game. But you have to promise to go back and read the rules before you play. Promise? Okay. America, this is you.
2: Oh, my I, rem- God. I remember that. I remember, I remember seeing that.
0: Man, I would have thought uh, VCR games would have died by maybe 90 or so.
3: That game came out in 1990 at the very start of America's Funniest Home Videos
0: popularity on ABC. Oh my gosh, that's that's something. I, I'm sure you know if you look hard enough, you can find it, but I had never heard of that until now. It's another thing that I learned today.
3: Well, Mike, we'll be covering that game at some point in the future because we have an episode of the podcast that's going to be devoted to VCR board games, so that'll be something to check out when we eventually do that topic.
0: Oh yes. Oh yeah, we'll definitely be talking about it with uh, on VCR games. One final thing I want to mention before we uh, wrap up the show is there's actually been an annual uh, festival of sorts. It's more like a, a gathering, a, a, a like an autograph show, almost like a Comic-Con type of thing, a local thing in Cleveland every year called Goularty Fest. It didn't happen this year because, well, we know why it didn't happen, but uh, it, they, they get – sometimes decent celebrities they get sometimes uh list celebrities who are on these movies back in the day uh they always have uh chuck shadowski and, uh, and and little john rinaldi there uh and it's been going on for i'd say at least a good 10 maybe even 15 years at this point um uh, and, and actually we were going to do this show sort of coincidentally siding with it, because uh, Gulardi Fest is every October, usually early October, maybe a couple weeks before Halloween, but life happened, and we, we know why it didn't occur. Yeah, and yeah. also
3: and, and also, one of the guests that was in last year's Goulardi Fest, I should mention, was Alison Ongram.
0: Yeah. Yes, yep. she was. Yes, she was.
2: The stone-cold bitch from the prairie, yeah.
0: Well, and also, since everything goes back to Match Game Hollywood Squares. Uh, she was
2: on
3: the first
0: week.
2: She was on the premiere week.
0: And, and she was on uh, quite a uh, few weeks besides that. Yes.
2: she, she uh, Let's just say um, Gene and John had her on speed dial. If speed dial was indeed a thing in 1983.
0: They had answering machines. They definitely had speed dial, presumably. And she was a hot tomato back in 83. I'm sorry.
2: Hold on, hold on. If we're going to do this, I need to do this right. I need to uh, position my body straight and my uh, my head like 15 degrees to the left. She was a tomato. She a stone a tomato cold fox from the prairie.
3: She was a stone cold fox from the prairie. I'm Tony Curtis.
2: I'm Tony Curtis.
0: Oh, that, Welcome. That's staying in. That, that's Welcome. staying in somehow.
2: Welcome to future installment Hollywood Babylon
0: which Mike just told me about, and it's
3: amazing. I've been watching some of the terrible reenactments, and it's maybe the best, worst thing I've
2: ever seen.
0: No regrets.
2: No regrets at all.
0: Well, that's the life and times of Ernie Anderson. Does anybody else have anything they need to add?
3: Well, I do have two things I want to add. First off, now, if you go on YouTube, now, in 1983... Ernie appeared on Late Night with David Letterman. And you can actually find this appearance on the YouTube channel of Don Giller, who collects. Who else besides Don Giller? Seriously. Yeah. Don Giller, if you don't know who he is, Letterman super fan has basically a ton, tons and tons of Letterman clips on his channel. So he has like an eight minute appearance Ernie did on Dave's show back in 83 uh, and it's incredible. He does the promo reads. He does these mock promo reads. And they talk about his time as glory. It's great. And he also does the love boat. Time for one more quick one here. All right. Uh, Dear Ernie, how about letting us hear that medley of ABC hits you did on your college tour? Thank you very much, Mr. and Mrs. Foreman.
1: A medley oh, a medley, a medley of stuff. your best announcements. Oh, this is big stuff. How'd you bother? Whoop. Mm. Yeah. What I mean, is you Hajiwawa. woof. Yeah. Tonight, things you've never seen on That's Incredible. Then at nine, it's the love boat. <laughs> Followed by a special 2020 report on wet t-shirt contests. <laughs> then, Jennifer goes undercover to model as a... Uh, damn! Oh, you're... Two. All right, one more. Yeah, 2 two. All I'm right, allowed to take, sure. sure. you are. Hmm. Then, Jennifer goes undercover as a model on Heart to Heart. At 11, it's the love boat again. followed <laughs> by a recently discovered episode of the Winds of War.
3: All right. Remember,
1: that's incredible. The love boat. 2020, heart to heart. And the love boat again. <laughs> and, and, the winds of war.
3: Unbelievable. We'll be right back. But one other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up. Now, I mentioned this to you guys. Now, this was brought to my attention. This was brought up by Joe Morata, who's the co-host of Our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. And he actually found this, and I actually asked Joe, hey, Joe, do you have a, a clip of this tape somewhere? And he directed me to the YouTube link. Now, it's a promo, and we'll include it in the episode description at the end of the show, on the episode on Podbean. For... Wrestlemania 6. Now, the LA Coliseum was trying to bid for the right to host Wrestlemania 6 for the WWF in 1990. And they got Ernie to narrate the promo video to entice the WWF to be interested in Wrestlemania 6 at the LA Coliseum. And they had a mock... They had everything. They had like a ring here. They had Ernie saying, Imagine... 92,000 fans packed to the brim at the LA Coliseum to watch Hulk Hogan do battle.
1: Los Angeles, California, the sports and entertainment capital of the world. It is a city made up of 9 million people and a $100 billion buying power. Enough buying power to support seven professional teams, two major collegiate powers, and the entire entertainment industry. Situated in the midst of L.A. is the most prestigious athletic and entertainment venue in the world, the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Built in 1923, the Coliseum has been a cornerstone in the history of the city and the nation. Since its inception, some 2,000 events, witnessed by 75 million fans, have happened at the Coliseum. WrestleMania is ready to return to the West Coast, and this time to the only stadium in all of America that can hold this giant, the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Imagine 92,000 fans rocking and rolling as WrestleMania begins. As one, the crowd rises, waves their souvenirs in the air, and screams at the top of their lungs for the main event. As the champion's name goes up on the 30 by 50 foot message board, he comes running from the Olympic tunnel. Hollywood spotlights reflecting off him as he tears the shirt from his back. Like a caged tiger, his opponent paces the squared circle. Like modern-day gladiators, the warriors charge each other. The two meet with the clash of thunder and the energy of lightning. The largest video screen in America catches their every move. It's all security can do to control the surging crowds. And when the dust settles on the same field that national championships were won. Five, touchdown, and Olympic dreams came true. The World Wrestling Federation legacy lives on.
3: It's a it's a really incredible promo video, but the thing was the WWF uh, had already promised in 1990 that they were going to give WrestleMania 6 to the Toronto Skydome, which makes sense because Toronto Skydome would have come out in '89. It was the hot new building at the time. So they just so the WWF decided, you know what, we'll give you. WrestleMania at the L.A. Coliseum for 1991. But the problem was, okay, for the L.A. Coliseum, and this is a whole other story, um, depending on who you believe, it was either because they didn't sell enough tickets to the L.A. Coliseum or because of the Sergeant Slaughter Iraqi turncoat angle that they decided the WWF, that'd be best to move the WrestleMania show for 1991 to the LA sports arena next door. So the LA Coliseum, unfortunately did not get WrestleMania that year. Sad. Sad. Although uh, fingers crossed, depending on what happens with, you know, the COVID vaccine and all WrestleMania this year is actually scheduled for SoFi stadium in LA in 2021. So There you go. Well, let's just hope the uh, COVID vaccine is distributed so we can get to WrestleMania and have at least some fans there in
2: the building. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, he also interesting thing. He also did. Are you ready for this? Ernie Anderson. Uh, Ernie Anderson also get did a guest shot and a slappy squirrel short on. The original Animaniacs. Now, uh, the uh, clip on YouTube is just—it's—it's uh, it's the first half, but it's incomplete. But he ended it with a thing saying, "Now, stay tuned for the Garden of Eden's funniest home videos." And up until we did this episode, I didn't even make the connection until we did this episode. Because around this time, he would be also announcing America's Funniest Home Videos. Because it's like, at, at first, you know, here I am, 14 years old, watching the Animaniacs, and I'm like, okay, that's pretty cute. But then it's like, he's the announcer of America's Funniest oh, Okay, now I get it.
3: That's the joke.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the joke. Uh, yeah, I was today years old when I got the joke.
0: Well, some jokes are meant for kids, and some jokes are meant for older people. And that's clearly one where, yeah, maybe some kids will get it, but older people who watch America's Funniest Home Videos, they got it. Yeah. Especially since everybody was watching America's Funniest Home Videos back in 1993.
3: Yeah, they wanted to see videos of people getting hit in the nuts with Bob Saget doing some funny narrations.
2: That's basically what America's Funniest Home Videos was and is, so people getting hit in the crotch with various objects, but that's another episode.
0: Boy, I think on that note, we need to wrap it up.
2: Yes, Ernie Anderson, he can get you in the mood for a lighthearted humor or keep you in suspense for a heart-ripping drama. Or even go deeper for event television, like The Day After, or America, which yeah. wasn't on ABC, now that I think about
3: it. Yeah, it was. America with a K was on EBC, And in fact, America with a K is on the list, so that'll be a topic for this podcast on some other day. And but, but, wait, wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. Did you say the day after?
3: No, that'll never be on the list. No, on the list.
2: we're you not. No, we're not touching that, Mike. We are not touching that.
0: If if both of you would be quiet, I was going to say we're going to mention the day after, probably in about a month or so.
2: Oh, yeah! Oh, Oh, yeah! I getcha, I getcha. Oh, good. Okay, so if I could just wrap this up here.
0: Good, because
3: I don't want to watch Jason Robards die of radiation poisoning. Oh, come on, Craig! Well, it happened in the movie!
2: Okay, so, Ernie Anderson. He was a thing on TV. But back to our website, it was a thing on TV.com. You'll find all the episodes, all the funny bits that go up on our social media feeds, and of course, the weekly drops over at Place to Be Nation. This week, we're bringing back the shows that lasted one season too long, and also personal injury courts.
3: Yeah. You'll be getting the legal sauce on the drop this week.
0: Enjoy your legal sauce uh, on a good serving of Big D.
2: <laughs> and on that disappointment, I think it's time we end. Uh coming up next on Thursday, uh Oh wow, you were looking forward to this, Greg. Well, Mike was. Well, Mike was also looking for I was we were all looking forward to this. It is a sh- we rarely on this show do we cover a show that followed the Super Bowl. We're covering a show that followed a Super Bowl.
3: Yeah, hint. It's not Grand Slam.
2: But hey, I bet you thought we wouldn't talk about Jonathan Winters on this show, U- unless we were going to talk about you know the last season of Mork and Mindy.
0: That, that was last week, one season too long possibly. Okay,
2: that's right, that's right, that's right. But you'll, you'll figure out, you know, who rules the roost on our next installment of It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
1: Wow! Saturday, the love boat just might sink. That's entertainment. It's a Titanic two-hour spectacular when Barbie Benton, David Birney, the Rovers, Audra Lindley, Lola Falana, Dick Martin, and Donna Mills sail unawares into the funniest ocean disaster ever. Hello. I thought we might have a little chat. Goodbye. Is that little enough for you? Is this the big kiss off for the love boat?